0: Hey, everyone, email time. Uh, Let's hit up that inbox at primarycarepod at gmail.com. First email today comes from anonymous. Uh, Dr. List, uh, I know you like orthopedic jokes so much, so I have another joke for you. Uh, Side note, listeners, again, this is an anonymous viewer, definitely not me. Uh, Okay, so uh, email says, uh, here's a joke. What do you call it when two orthopedic surgeons read an EKG? Answer, a double-blind study. All right, let's get to the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast, produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because it's almost football season and I got Husker news to read. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, Another episode here today. And today I wanted to bring up a somewhat controversial topic among primary care physicians. And I want you to keep your mind open while we have this discussion. Uh, Whether you think that you're on the right side of this discussion or the wrong side of the discussion... I'm here to try to change your mind. That topic being fasting lab work for physicals. Do you still require your patients to fast before physicals? I'm here to change your mind, jump on the Alleluia bandwagon, and the uh, revival is in session here. So this is not a new topic. In 2013, the American College of Cardiology slash the AHA guidelines did not any longer require fasting labs when evaluating for atherosclerotic coronary vascular disease, ASCVD, specifically in their risk estimation tool. Because that organization recognized the advantages of non-fasting labs to the patient, and that evidence that non-fasting, non-HDL cholesterol, so your LDLs, et cetera, and your apolipoprotein B, I hate that word, appear to be better predictors of ASCBD events both prior to and on statin therapy than fasting labs. Okay, so take that into account that this is 2013, ACC slash AHA, the calculator that we currently use for our risk stratification recognizes the advantages of non-fasting labs to the patient and that they are better predictors of events to check non-fasting. So that's the first. that's the first piece of information that we're gonna have here today now when does that not apply according to them well when you have your non-hdl cholesterol like your you know your big ldls greater than 220 milligrams per deciliter or your when your triglycerides are above 500 if you don't fast because those are usually associated as we know with genetic or secondary causes of marked elevation of triglycerides so that's a population where fasting labs would matter now in their 2013 guidelines The organization even acknowledges that it is general clinical practice in the United States to obtain a fasting lipid profile so as to allow for an accurate calculation of the LDL. However, unless the patient is on a high-fat diet or if the patient has hypertriglyceridemia, as we just discussed, above 500 milligrams per deciliter, When adults are on a stable diet, the fasting and non-fasting measured and calculated LDL are very similar according to their recommendations. Now that was 2013. Uh, You know me, I'm never gonna throw stuff from 2013 in here without some new evidence. So what does the newer evidence say? So let's look in May of 2019, Uh, JAMA Internal Medicine Journal here, We're talking about the articles named Association of Non-Fasting Versus Fasting Lipid Levels with Risk of Major Coronary Events in the Anglo-Scandinavian Cardiac Outcome Trial Lipid Lowering Arm. Wow, that was a mouthful. Okay, yeah, the ASCOT-LLA. Of course, you're all familiar with that study. Yeah, Uh, so this is a post hoc perspective follow-up of a randomized control trial of 8270 patients now this was part of a different study but they looked at the post-hoc analysis looking at non-fasting and fasting lipid levels so in similar patients in this study they measured the fasting and non-fasting lipid levels four weeks apart followed the patient up for on average median was 3.3 years they collected this data over a super long period of time for this study now when they looked at the difference, the association of non-fasting lipid levels with coronary events, it was similar, non-significantly different at all, to fasting lipid levels. Then they also looked, were patients overly prescribed statins or not or under-prescribed statins? And rates of concordance of the fasting and non-fasting lipid levels classifying participants into the appropriate ASCVD risk based on the calculator categories was very high in both groups, uh, 94% concordance between the two groups, meaning that checking a fasting versus checking a non-fasting didn't change what their ASCVD risk score was at the end of the day. So when you're thinking about, well, I need them to be fasting so I can get them into the accurate ASCVD risk score to appropriately assess their risk, it didn't matter in this study. Again, high concordance in the same patients between when they were fasting or non-fasting. Why is there such high concordance? Well, because it's only checking, well, our AACVD calculator only checks for total and HDL cholesterol. So having a, a non-fasting triglyceride level that messes up the LDL, again, doesn't usually matter at all when we talk about risk stratification. So uh, in general, just like Husker football, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we're so awful. So ultimately, measurement of non-fasting and fasting lipid levels yielded similar results for the same individuals in their association with incident coronary and ASCVD events as well. And so not just their risk score, but also the primary endpoint. So to recap, their levels were basically the same, non-significant change in their their lipid levels, a non-significant change in the uh, risk stratification, and a non-significant change in the incident association between coronary artery disease and ASCVD events. Not yet convinced by those first two uh, studies we've talked about, the guidelines and then that last study? Don't worry, I got a third one. Uh, This one comes from across the pond, uh, the Korean Journal of Internal Medicine, in 2019 in March, so a couple months before this last study we just looked at in JAMA. The study is titled, Non-Fasting Triglyceride Levels in the Korean Population with and without ischemic heart disease and cerebrovascular disease. Now, uh, this is an assumption that this is a South Korean study and not a North Korean study. Uh, I can't prove that because it didn't specifically say South Korean, but again, I'm assuming because of reasons. So this study didn't look at LDL or HDL. It didn't look at the risk score stratification. What this looked at was the association between the triglyceride levels in non-fasting versus fasting and the risk for ischemic heart disease and cerebrovascular events. Now, this is obviously a different demographic than we're going to be seeing here in rural South Dakota and urban South Dakota, but bear with me. I think it bears repeating because uh, triglycerides uh, have been shown in Caucasians to also uh, be related to ischemic heart disease and strokes. So what do they find? Well, this was a nationwide survey database because that's what happens in Socialized medicine countries. There's big giant databases with this data. Women, completely unaffected. Triglyceride level didn't matter, didn't change anything. In men, there was a significant difference between non fasting triglyceride levels that were elevated compared to fasting triglyceride levels in patients who ended up developing ischemic heart disease and stroke. The take home point was non-fasting triglycerides were superior to fasting triglyceride levels in the significant association with history of ischemic heart disease or stroke. So this is the idea that patients don't run around most of their lives fasting. Patients live their lives non-fasting. You are more at risk for developing heart disease and stroke with a higher level of triglycerides. So especially in men in this study— Knowing what their non-fasting triglyceride level is gives you a better insight into their actual risk for ischemic heart disease or stroke. So in this case, fasting and knowing what their triglyceride levels were fasting actually made it less likely for you to be able to predict who was going to have that ischemic heart disease episode or their stroke. So maybe Korean medical literature isn't going to sway you. How about the Aussies? Aussie, Aussie, Aussies. Uh, In 2019 in February, I want to read you this quote from an article entitled Non-Fasting Versus Fasting Lipid Profile for Cardiovascular Risk Prediction. (laughs) Quote, To date, there is no sound scientific evidence as to why fasting should be superior to non-fasting when evaluating a lipid profile for cardiovascular risk prediction. Indeed, non-fasting samples rather than fasting samples, would have many obvious advantages. First, it would simplify blood sampling in the laboratory. Second, it would benefit the patient, avoiding the inconvenience of fasting and therefore needing to have blood drawn early in the day. Third, for individuals with diabetes, the risk of hypoglycemia due to fasting would be minimized. Many countries currently changing their guidelines towards a consensus on measuring lipid profile for cardiovascular risk prediction in a non-fasting state, simplifying blood sampling for patients, laboratories, and clinicians worldwide. That being said, there are reasons to have your patient fast. Again, if you are concerned about genetic or familial hyperlipidemia or hypertriglyceridemia, those tests where your LDL is going to be above 220 or your triglycerides are going to be above 500, uh, certainly then a fasting test is relevant. If the patient is Medicare-aged and does not have prediabetes. Prediabetes will cover an A1C. Diabetics will cover an A1C. Technically, Medicare does not cover a screen with A1C. They require a fasting blood glucose. Many regular insurances for people under the age of 65 do pay for A1Cs for glucose screening. However, there are going to be insurance companies that do not pay for an A1C, so you will need a fasting glucose in those patients. Last but not least, a reason to assess for the patient's hypertriglyceridemia, if they are at risk for pancreatitis, that should definitely be a fasting lipid. So what are your guys' thoughts? Did that convince you? Are you still unconvinced? Are you grabbing fasting labs for scientific purposes or for insurance purposes? What do you think? Let us know, but go forth fellow primary care physicians in full knowledge that you are not doing a patient harm by not getting a fasting lipid. In fact, you are probably helping them in some ways, or at least accurately assessing their risk factors for ischemic heart disease and stroke. So how'd do we do today? Enjoy what you're listening to? Any suggestions on topics for the podcast or recommendations of articles, please send them to me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, primarycarepod at gmail.com. We'll also take any comments, questions, or concerns about the episode. If you want me to read your comment or question on the next episode, I can certainly throw them in. Please include whether you want that comment or question to be anonymous or credited with your name. And so we'll wrap up another episode saying thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and have a great day.